I'm Elizabeth Scanlon, and this is the American Poetry Review Podcast. It's hard to believe that it's almost AWP time again, but that it is. We are um, we're getting ready to head out to Seattle, and we look forward to seeing many of you there. I personally will be hanging out at the book fair most of the time, so please do come check us out at booth 1038. Uh, we will be giving away copies of the magazine uh, and selling some of our recent Hanukkah Book Prize winning books, uh, as well as our very stylish new merch. Uh, we have totes, we have teas uh, to show your love for APR, and I would love to see you. Um, we're also, of course, uh, hosting an offsite reading. We're co hosting an offsite reading. Um, because as we all know, the offsite readings are where it's at, um, at Seattle's gorgeous and legendary Elliott Bay Books on Thursday, March 9th uh, at 8 p.m. with an after party conveniently located right next door at Oddfellows Cafe and Bar. Um, yeah, this reading is really going to be a doozy. <laughs> I, uh, I'm so happy to be collaborating with the Adroit Journal and Kenyon Review and Pleiades uh, to present a real list of superstars. I mean, we have um, Victoria Chang, Felita Hicks, Erica T. Worth, Chen Chen, Dane Eleven, Philip Metris, Leanne Rorapaw, um, Luther Hughes, uh, and more. It's just every single person on this list is is so exciting. Uh, and I, I, I can't wait. It's going to be a party. I, I hope you can come. Um, so, that said, um, getting ready for all of that put me in mind of the great time that we had last year when AWP was on our home turf in Philadelphia. And I just, I wanted to revisit specifically the Hanukkah Prize reading that we had with Tanem Bambrick and Natasha Rao and Chelsea Harlan and Chessie Normile. Um, We've played clips from that event here and there, but um, I wanted to take this opportunity to share Chessie's reading from that night because it's a really special one. It was a lively audience, as you'll hear, and I will always remember the energy of that room. Mm. I love it when everyone goes, mm, at the same, same moment. That's so satisfying. So satisfying. Our next reader, Chessie Normile, won the 2020 prize. Chessie. When Lee Young Lee chose Great Exodus, Great Wall, Great Party for the 2020 prize, he wrote, I single out for attention a mind that is not only smart, curious, and original, but one that I feel is genuinely demonized, <laughs> genuinely touched, and authentically weird. I choose a voice that is heartbroken, vulnerable, enraged, tender, and hilarious, and I agree with that statement entirely. Please welcome Chessie Normal. Hey, um, this is really just one of the best readings I've ever been to so far, so it's weird to become part of it. Um, but I'm really grateful, and um, I'm just going to read some poems. 
Maybe do a little chit chat. <laughs> we'll see what happens. All right. Ever. All the books on time are pretty good. When the boat carrying bubonic plague was approaching the Sicilian harbor of Messina, everyone on shore said, wait, look, something's wrong with that boat. It's moving too slowly, and only a few oars hit the water at a time. They watched it come toward them. When the boat arrived, they saw how everyone was either dead or dying. There's an essay I'm purposely not going to cite, because I think T.S. Eliot gets enough attention, <laughs> that says the books we read now um, change the books that were written before them. They actually change them. This is time in constant. There are different types of time. Earth time, sacred time, another type concerned with human behavior, for instance, collecting figs, erecting columns, returning goats, tropical time, star time, atomic time, dream time supposedly, and a type of time that undoes itself. Let's me read the book that Amy wrote, which deals primarily with elephant grief, and then read The Wasteland to find it populated with the deaths of elephants who I had not realized in high school were there. Alternatively, if you don't believe me, try this. Read a letter I wrote you five years ago. Read it now. Read it after reading each subsequent letter I sent, in particular the ones where I admit I have loved you quietly from across the wall. Terrible music. I misunderstood what kind of boat party we had been invited to. <laughs> you were screaming in your sleep beside me, thrashing like a dead shark held in the arms of a living man. You were both the shark and the man, which impressed me. <laughs> My dreams don't scare me like that anymore. Sweating, you woke and walked swiftly off the deck. Time passed until, over salmon, I got to congratulate us on our perceived humanity. Agreeing heartily, you poured champagne into a flute, and I was like, he just ruined that flute. <laughs> you proceeded to play the most terrible music. Love hath made me stupid. I should have thought, this guy's a terrible musician, shut it down. But instead, I became a shallow bowl of strawberry milk, riding a fictional boat through a very real storm. Anyway, after the terrible concert and the great sex, it was morning. And in the kitchen, you noticed a paper bag folded in on itself, a spoon cracked with white yogurt lying on top. Because of my knack for espionage, what you didn't notice was me. <laughs> Seated in the corner like a chair. I watched you find the spoon, break it apart from the table, and lift it up to the light. You stood still, gentle as a rock sinking to the bottom of a lake, and I thought, when we die, may that someone lift us purposely as that. May they consider us a little, then decide we are suited to our death before they let us go. Um, Uh, this, this poem is called Hymn for Dan, and it's like the kind of hymn, do you know what I mean? Yeah. All right, Hymn for Dan. We went to visit our brother. They had a special blue room for the purpose of waiting. A counselor came over and called my sweater too provocative. Nora started laughing, and then I started laughing, and then our brother came out and told us about the squirrel he had been feeding packets of peanut butter each day to pass the time, and how the squirrel was now too fat to climb trees, 
and how he was worried because winter was coming. <laughs> and we were all laughing and crying from the laughing. We stayed as long as we were allowed, then Nora and I walked back through the snow toward the hotel five years ago. Last night in bed, I typed being and nothingness into a Wikipedia search. It was a book my dad had put in the basement bathroom of the house we grew up in. Something else about my dad was on Sundays, he put a cabbage leaf on my head in order to calm me down. Uh, let me draw you a, a diagram of that perfect tranquil hat. So it's like. <laughs> Being in Nothingness is a book about phenomenological ontology. Now you don't have to read it, you're welcome. Uh, when I was 14, I read The Stranger, and it spoke to me until I fired four shots more into the inert body. Really put me off. But at 16, I met a girl named Tanya, and Tanya loved Camus. So I tried again and read The Fall. But no, I decided, closing the book. I'm not an existentialist, I'm just sad. <laughs> Tanya and I continued our friendship despite this. One evening, we sat on the floor. <laughs> One evening, we sat on the floor in my bedroom, tattooing our feet with India ink. I was working hard on a crescent moon when I looked up and saw that Tanya was almost at the end of the phrase, Russian fatalist. I remember how Tanya's parents lived far away and sent her care packages full of cigarettes. I remember that she dressed up as a Q-tip for Halloween when the rest of her friends dressed up as nurses. And I remember what it felt like when the moon on my foot disappeared. But this wasn't meant to be a hymn to all that. Do you know what I can't write about? My brother. So that's it, boom, and then... <laughs> um, my mouth's getting so dry, I don't know how you guys can just like... <laughs> okay, I'll read you another hymn, hymn like again, and this is hymn for you. Hymn for you. May you find coins. May you unlock things, e.g. mythic eggs. May you destroy the coins. May I take your coat. May the dice throw their combinations at night. May it be June, then July. May it be that you are 14 in July. May water rise. May it have to do with the moon. May you have sex somewhere special. May this pine cone fit in your car. May God grant you this. So, all right. Um, I think I'll read like two more poems. I get really confused about time when I'm up here. So, hey, yeah, okay, cool. Um, all right. Uh, witness. Washing my hands rapidly with nowhere to be, I splash some milky white water on my stomach. It drips in three rivulets onto the elastic band of my underwear, and I realize how sexless my life has become. I run a hand under the faucet, wipe the soap off my skin. I feel depressed. Mine is the loneliest bathroom on earth. People are like, haha, your poems are funny. And that's a kind of a miracle, I'm grateful. It's nice to share the joke of my existence with you. <laughs> But, like the fish who tried to swallow Tobias's foot in a lesser-known moment in the Bible, I seem to function one way when my life is really hidden in another. It is not the food of me, immediate, salty, eaten by the river, that you need. It is my weird gray organs, my heart, gallbladder, and whatever that other one is. <laughs> Tobias didn't know about the heart, that it could be burnt when he sought to bed a haunted beloved, that it could drive the destroyer from the room for the both of them. Nor did he know of the gallbladder, which if made into an ointment could cure his father's blindness, cast a film over his eyes that he might peel gently back. 
I think I'm devastated. I don't know if Tobias was, probably not, because he wasn't cursed, and I am. For seven years, I've stood at this sink, and sometimes, though rarely, I forget why. This is a momentary kind of a thing. That's it. Um, then, this poem is called This. I asked Joan for help with all this. This is your life, she says. <laughs> Classic. That's a whole poem. <laughs> Alright, I'm just gonna read one more poem um, and that's it. And then so I have a little more water. <laughs> mm. So this poem has a like a part of it's crossed out. Oh hey, before I read it, um so the zine that I made, Girl Blood Info, all four of us have a poem in it and it's really good. And if you want a copy, all the proceeds go to Survived and Punished. Um and Anyway, it's really great. My friend who I edited it with is here too, Julia, and she's an amazing poet. And um, So if you want one, you can come find me, or Julia, anybody. You can find anybody here and they'll have one. <laughs> and uh, anyway, I think that's all the information you're gonna need on that. <laughs> oh, but I was gonna say that this poem has part of it's crossed out, and, um, and when I read the part that's crossed out, I'm gonna just put my hand up so you know which part, and I'll just put my hand back down when it stops being crossed out. <laughs> All right, and thank you. I'm not sure if I've expressed my gratitude enough because it's so immense. <laughs> All right, I'm done, okay. My life so far, my life so far. I enjoy talking to the man beyond the wall. His pants are like one bad triangle. <laughs> At home, he can see the Statue of Liberty just by sitting on his stoop. I live by the water too, in my own way, meaning by its code. When I was 15, I was new at my high school, and a girl named Dawn gave an impromptu presentation on water. No one asked her to, and she made the poster in under 10 minutes. <laughs> we do not pay enough attention to this element, she said to the room. <laughs> I thought she was crazy, but I listened. Now I heard she does a pretty good deal of ecstasy, and hula hoops in small but elaborate outfits on the West Coast. <laughs> I asked my coworker if he felt he had gotten to know the Statue of Liberty, watching her from his home like that. I said, have you noticed that she's walking? And regretted it immediately. Why am I always challenging people? In the article I've been reading at my desk, the author asked, out of nowhere, is this the hill you want to die on? And I didn't know. I don't know what hill this is. Last March, I got beat up at night, and it wasn't anything like I'd always pictured it in my head. I just crumpled to the ground and blurred as his boot swung in and out of my face. All my life, I had trusted in this buried power that would reveal itself when the time came. I used to keep my backpack on at the parties my brother would take me to in various basements around Pelham, New York. My mother called it skating around the edges. I think I grew up this year. Does saying that negate it? Do you have to let go of everything to grow up? How about just most of it? A group of boys gathered around me in the woods. Let me light that for you. It seemed normal at first, and then the questions, is that too big, does it hurt? I didn't understand why they were talking about my cigarette like that until I looked up at the boy who'd fucked me while I cried the night before and saw him laughing. His friends had formed a circle around me. They were quoting me. It hurts, I had said to him, and the next day, they all said it back. My greatest fantasy has been the same thing for seven years. If I could have any one thing, it would be the chance to go back just this once to kill them. This is not the hill I want to die on, but I'm willing to. When I realized the Statue of Liberty was walking, my whole life literally came into focus. Do you know what that feels like? When your face opens up on the sidewalk and you realize you might die, but still, you are not powerless. 
For instance, maybe in the spot you die, a poisonous mushroom could grow, and the man who killed you could eat that mushroom. <laughs> Never mind. What matters is that I am, will be, ready next time. I'm not skating around the edges anymore, etc. I thought this poem might be funny. I forgot what my life so far has been, but it has been funny. And if it wasn't midnight, I would tell you in what ways. Thank you for listening. The American Poetry Review podcast is a Radio Kismet production. Please visit us at aprweb.org for more poems and the people who love them.